Welcome to Tiger Paw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tiger Paw Radio, exploring channel convergence one stripe at a time. Well, hey everybody, Wes McDonald here with Tiger Paw Software, and I want to thank you all for attending yet another podcast. And today's topic, we are going to be covering security and remote work. Time to meet our panel. And as traditional with me, I do like to let our panelists introduce themselves. And with that, I'll uh, hand it over to Ian Richardson if you could introduce yourself. And don't forget to give us one interesting fact about yourself that our listeners and viewers may not know. Well, hey, everyone. I'm Ian, uh, CEO of Doberman. We're a Michigan-based MSP, and we focus on compliance, healthcare, and security solutions. Interesting fact. I am actively pursuing a uh, certification in strategic business planning and people on this call probably don't know that so well, that's, that's my self-improvement project for 2020 and our next guest mark hart if you could introduce yourself mark absolutely good afternoon everyone my name is mark hart i'm the uh, executive director of business development for acdi uh, we are a I hate the word distributor, but that's what a lot of people look at to us as, is we have a lot of products in our portfolio, uh, including our flagship product, Papercut, that we help our partners uh, sell and market throughout all of the Americas. And so very happy to be with you guys today. Wes, thanks for inviting me on this one. A fact for me is I'm an avid woodworker. So outside of technology in the workforce, I don't like using it at home. I like to get it into the shop and make a lot of sawdust. And I do have half of a thumb to prove that I do a lot of woodworking. Well, sorry about your thumb and I'm not laughing. Actually, I am laughing, but uh, very surprised. It doesn't get in the way anymore, Wes, so it's good. <laughs> it is. It's hard to use a space bar sometimes though, but it's on a keyboard. It's okay. And Brad, if you could introduce yourself or audience. Sure. Uh, so I'm uh, Brad Fugit. I'm the CISO at PAX8. Um, I've uh, known the founders of Pax8 since uh, the company's formed eight years ago. We're a SaaS cloud distribution and uh, about 45 products on our line car right now. Um, yeah, and I've been on board with the company about two years now. And I We're, think I know your interesting fact because uh, I saw it earlier and it's on the slide. You also, that's one, is that the one I was going to talk about? Oh, I don't know. It's up to you. But, no, <laughs> I did jump out of airplanes for a few years, but uh, 82nd Airborne. But uh, what West is uh, referring to is I, I spent 15 years at the White House, traveled about 200 days or so a year with the president, providing secure, non-secure voice and data uh, command and control communications. Okay, Paul, I know that's a hard one to follow up on. What do you do with that? Um, so uh, my name is Paul. I am with Compliancy Group. I am vice president of long titles or partner engagement in cybersecurity, if you're going to drag it out. Uh, I just joined Compliancy Group and even this side of the channel uh, last year prior to that. I've owned an MSP for the last uh, 12, maybe 13 years. Uh, weird fact about me. So I did not work for the president. In fact, I got into IT uh, right out of death metal and gangster rap. My first IT business was in the basement of a concert hall that I was running. So we're doing like Snoop Doggy Dog or, you know, Lamb of God upstairs and trying to figure out why the server crashed to the client downstairs. It was a good time. Oh, what a riot. So rock and roll history. Well, with that, I'm excited to rock on with this presentation. Most of us have traditionally not had specific offerings for uh, remote workers 
um, because they were kind of a uh, nominal part of the workforce, but today that's changed. So I've been working remotely now for, I don't know, probably 15 to 20 years. So for me, not much has changed. The, actually, what has changed is uh, that I would travel quite frequently. By this time of year, I'd, I'd have probably done already 10 or 11 trips uh, down to the U.S. at uh, different technology and managed print and off equipment, you know, sort of shows and, and visits, right? So that, that's been a big change uh, for me. Does anyone else work remotely? Uh, do you have uh, remote work practices for your people? Wes, this is Mark. Uh, yes, I've been working remotely as well um, ever since I joined ACDI about seven years ago and was one of the first remote employees uh, to start the business. And now probably half of our force is working remotely, even though we did uh, um, purchase and, and build a new building a few years back, we started incorporating people working from home. And so it's, uh, we, we find that some people enjoy it and some people struggle with the, the work at home environment and they really thrive sure. with that office uh, kind of environment. So we have a pretty good blend at ACDI. Yeah, and I, I noticed that as well, obviously, uh, working with Tiger Paw, we had a host of employees that were, you know, just biting at the bit to be able to get back to the office once it opened, right? And that's certainly the topic of another uh, series of, of questions around remote work is, you know, how people are actually dealing with it, right? Yeah, so we were all in the office until uh, mid-March. I was over 500 people. And then uh, when that hit, we sent everybody home. So we became 100% remote immediately. Wow. And uh, so that was a bit of a challenge for us, particularly on the IT side. We had to change a lot of processes with now how do we ship laptops and things to new hires uh, separately. And, and uh, you, you can imagine it made quite a bit of change. And then over time, you know, a lot of people just have a challenging work at home environment. So we've offered opportunities to, you know, get other assets at their homes to make it a more comfortable office environment. And we recently did a survey and about uh, 38% said they'd like to just continue working remote. Wow, that's interesting. So that's going to actually fold nicely into some of the stats that I've put together here. Pre-pandemic, it looks like that, you know, people are saying the source I have here is Alliance Virtual Offices said that 31% of employees worked uh, remote prior to the pandemic and 88% of employees working uh, remote during the pandemic. So it kind of lines up with what you were saying about everybody going home. And 74% of businesses plan on keeping some remote post all right. I know that's what we've seen in the medical space specifically is it's going to end up being a hybrid workforce, right? There are certain people in that industry that are going to have to be on site and those guys are going to be there. But I mean, all the way across that industry, which is where we live so much, you know, it's, we're calling it the hybrid workforce. This is the new normal. It's like half and half. When we look at security, right, one of the big things about working remote and the reason we have all of you on the call today is because 28% of businesses report remote security challenges, right? That there are differences in how they manage security and their people uh, to be more secure uh, when there's more of them, right? Um, because now instead of being in one central location or maybe three offices, you know, it could be hundreds of, of endpoints where security is concerned, right? 54% of IT professionals say that remote work increases uh, security risks. And Forbes says that the three that they kind of see as being the big ones and be interesting to hear your takes on this, are obviously home Wi-Fi, uh, phishing scams, and insecure passwords. It's a good place to set the stage for where we're going to move now. And so let's start with this. The first question I want to move through is how are the bad actors taking advantage of remote workers? And obviously, 
you know, kind of with an eye on how that's different. And maybe it's not different, you tell me, but how they're taking advantage of people working in, you know, remote situations. And uh, Ian, maybe I'll get you to start off on that. Sure. So if you think about organized crime or, uh, or a threat actor, they're taking advantage of remote workers exactly the same as they would take advantage of an in-office worker. The negative piece is that that remote worker has only some, if any, of the protections that the traditional office environment would offer. So if I'm working on a corporate device at my home, the security might be able to extend into my home somewhat. But uh, if I'm doing a BYOD thing, which typical for small business, hey, just use your laptop and remote into the server, there's no visibility into that laptop. There's no protection from that endpoint, from that computer. So you've got a lot of different risks. You have the endpoint if it's not managed. You have that home network, and that home network isn't managed. So if someone's just got a wireless network that lets anyone connect to it, or the connection is their name or their address or their phone number, it's a pretty insecure method, and uh, the enterprising hacker could monitor that. And then you have the other devices on the network. So even if it's a secured network, and I've got my secured company machine, if my 16-year-old has something that he downloaded a game or a video off a BitTorrent and suddenly his computer is infected with malware, that could monitor all of my traffic because we're on that same network. So you got a lot of different variables with the house. And those individuals are using those home things for personal aspects. So you've got risks from personal email, personal web browsing habits, personal internet use. So really it's a cluster and it keeps everyone up at night. And... Anyone in IT security I know is rapidly growing gray, myself included. <laughs> so it sounds like it's uh, it's a lot harder uh, to actually be able to, to manage than it would be just in a centralized office. I would say that this is trying to go to the rodeo without a rope. <laughs> Boy, anyone else want to add to that? Uh, you know, what about you, Brad? Well, uh, it is a big challenge. We do require that everybody working remote uh, from home do use a company asset for their laptop. They're obviously using their smartphones for BYOD. We do a lot of security awareness training and, and then weekly tips, uh, you know, things like changing your SSID, having a password on your home network that also meets all our standards as if you were in the office, using a VPN if you're in an open environment. Um, the, the, the one that Ian mentioned with the kids, that's always a challenge. That's a tough one to overcome. But um, the awareness training has been a big deal for us. We, uh, you know, we do phishing campaigns all the time. We're actually uh, partners with Compliancy Group. So we go through a lot of things about uh, the 20 policies that Compliancy Group provides. As you said that you're partnering with Compliancy Group, maybe Paul can get you to jump in. Are, are you seeing any threat vectors which are new um, because of this remote opportunity, right? The one I don't think that people think about the most is the actual people in your house, right? So let's talk about that teenager for a second. You realize that teenager can make money off of what's on your computer, right? People don't think about the access on the dark web to go on and sell pictures of mom and dad, you know, screenshots from their computers. This doesn't mean much to these kids, right? They don't think about the impact and the damage that they're doing. And it's a very, very real thing that you don't have to hack somebody if you can convince their teenager when they get up to go cook dinner to go in there and just take screenshots. I pay for names and social security numbers, right? So that and, and the loss of privacy in the now home I'm versus your office. Terrified. 
think about that and the loss of privacy, right? So let's take security and privacy and put them both out there. The data that you're moving, let's say Pax8, for example, you know, in your case, for the most part, you know, this is business data. It's not, you know, PHI. Take a doctor and do a telehealth session and realize you're sitting in the living room, your kids can hear you, your wife can hear you, that you know what I mean? Like you don't think about that. In the office, everyone around you is trained. They themselves are sharing in that risk. You know, you're in that mindset where you're protected. All that goes away as soon as you go home. Now you're in a shared environment with people that don't think like you. And you know what? Teenagers are so proficient with the technologies as well, right? Like. Uh, all of my friends pretty much say that they're, you know, IT professional, rightly or wrongly, is, you know, one of their teenage kids, right? I have a teenage son right. who's actually studying computer science. That's, you know, he's in university now, and that's, uh, he's always been very good with it. And I, I've never really thought of that, but this idea that teenagers, I guess, are in a pretty, uh, a pretty vulnerable spot because pretty much from the age of 13 to 18, they think their parents are all stupid anyway, right? They That relationship between parents and teenagers becomes quite thin. So for threat actors, what a what a terrifying thing to think that they could take advantage of that. They don't think they're doing anything that's that bad and they're taking you know advantage of that information well. I say I had three teenage boys in the house and uh, we've actually sat down around the table and had conversations about social media and being careful what they share and have shared some horror stories of things that have happened to people. And uh, so, definitely have spent some time on family security awareness. Okay, well, that's good to know. And Mark, I wanna get you to jump in here too. Um, Mark, yeah. specifically work more on the printer side, and of course, the printers get a bad rap in the IT world, but they're basically sophisticated computers that spit out paper, right? They have chips, they have RAM, they're connected to the network, and they are another asset, which uh, obviously we often forget about, but I think it's important to consider. So Mark, maybe you can jump in, do you see uh, any um, things that bad actors are doing because of all these either home supplied printers or ones that companies are actually supplying for them. Yeah, West, and, and I'll steal your line, right? That that printers don't print, that people do, um, and and we really rely on that when we're starting to look at security in a in a home environment when it comes to printing. You know, some of the things that we have started running into is you know we're talking about. Um, uh, families with a, you know, a single parent possibly or, or a single person uh, having VPNs and things. When we have multiple, uh, maybe the the parents in the, the home office that are working for multiple companies, my neighbors, for example, both work for competing pharmaceutical companies. And so each of them have their own uh, security profiles that they have to have on their home network and, and they oftentimes clash. And so when you start throwing a printer MFP in the mix, it really becomes a complete different situation and, and connecting with VPNs and, and non-connecting and are they letting the kids use those? So we're seeing a lot of uh, headaches when it's coming to printing in the, uh, in the home office. And then when it comes to that management, as you said, of the supplies, it's where are they getting their supplies? Who's calling in? Let me remote into your machine and see if you need new firmware or if you need uh, supplies alerts will manage that for you. Uh, once that happens, it's just opening up all kinds of security holes throughout the home. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I know from you know speaking with you on a number of occasions that there really are two uh, threat vectors that uh, printers inherently come with. One obviously is network security because they are basically IoT devices sitting on that network, and generally uh, security profiles are not that strong uh, from the manufacturers. 
Um, the second piece is uh, that unlike all the other uh, digital assets we have in the network, they're spitting out paper, and that paper can be, you know, I, I continue to share this story, um, you know, the reality winner story, right? When she uh, smuggled out that information from the NSA and shared it with the media, it was on printed media. It was printed paper that she took out of the uh, the office. And, you know, so it's kind of fascinating to think now in a, in a home environment, what do they say? Locks on a door, keep honest people honest, right? And when you're in the office, you may be more reticent uh, to take that stuff away in paper format because there's a lot of other people around you. Well, who's gonna who's gonna watch you at home, right? So, and I know we'll get into this a little later, uh, Mark, because I know that there are some solutions for that. But uh, certainly, correct. You know, all of those printers uh, are also you know an increased threat vector. Has anyone seen the? Uh, I always like to reference these two, the HP uh, uh, videos that they did on security with Christian Slater. I'm a big fan of Christian Slater anyway, but if you get a chance, uh, watch The Wolf. Uh, because HP basically started kind of a mini revolution, if you will, uh, concerning security, the the uh, cybersecurity on uh, printer assets. So for all our listeners, check it out. Christian Slater, HP, and The Wolf. Uh, I don't work for HP. It's not a plug. But they did a really good job of kind of humanizing that issue. The second thing I want to get into are some of the challenges that we have at remote uh, versus, you know, working in a centralized office, right? And I think I've heard some of that already from everybody, right? The fact that we do have sort of this BYOD thing. We have people with different security policies. Uh, we've got a lot of other different things, but maybe, you know, Ian, you could lead us down this road. Are there, you know, additional challenges uh, for both customers and providers when we're dealing with remote workers? Yeah, it's all around uh, visibility and extensibility, right? So if you're using corporate assets for those home users, you can at least control some of the connectivity. Um, Brad brought up using a VPN. I'm a fan of using a VPN even if you're at your home network at all times because a VPN encrypts the communication. And when you encrypt it, even if your kid's laptop is a completely suspect or, uh, or damaged device, uh, that VPN along with some multi-factor authentication or other run-of-the-mill technologies that are widely available can really limit your threat from the unsecured home network, uh, much less the coffee shop that I just had to go work at for three hours. <laughs> so using some using some commonplace communication strategies and security strategies around your connectivity to the office or your connectivity to the cloud can be very, very helpful. Making sure that everyone uniformly, whether they're a revenue producer a doctor, a business owner, all the way down to frontline staff is going through a robust training platform that gives people that safe place to fail and then using the data to steer your decisions can definitely uh, can definitely be helpful and that applies both to remote versus headquarters. Getting people aware of what's going on in their own home. Hey, you've got your TV, you've got your Nest thermostat, you've got your refrigerator, you have all these different things. Not only could this cause damage to the company, but if someone steals your identity, the person who's going to suffer the most is going to be you. So getting people aware and trying to make people part of your active defense is always a worthwhile aspect. Um, the big thing is really to do a structured risk assessment for your organization and talk about the risks, get multiple brains on it, and think outside of the box. Right, There is no one silver bullet with security. Security has to be a multi-layered approach. Each layer solves a different problem altogether. 
they help raise security, but I don't own an organization that's informed on the planet that says, hey, I'm unhackable. That doesn't exist. Even the internet is a bunch of different layers of things that come together to give us the ability to type in an IP address, right? That, you know, security can't be any different because the very foundation of everything we do is layered, right? One other point people don't think about a lot is when you do go remote work, like at the coffee shop, you know, make sure the Wi-Fi you're connecting to is legit. Um, you know, I could go into a coffee shop and I see coffee shop and then I see coffee shop guest. That could be a bad actor. So make sure that even if you get on the coffee shop and VPN, make sure you're not going through a bad actor on the way. We've we've actually, we've been looking at eight different VPN solutions for going forward. We've been trying to find a good solution that would be always on, because one challenge is you can offer it, but if people are at home and they don't turn it on, it doesn't do us any good. Mm. So we've been trying to find one that meets a, a bunch of criteria that we've put together, such as, you know, you log on, it's on, and it just runs transparent in the background. Um, that's that's been a bit of a challenge finding the product we really want uh, for the long term. When you give someone that option in security, they will always choose to not use it out of the sake of convenience. You have to make things mandatory. We've had to make multiple options available because you know the 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 whole work at home thing has now changed. You know, working from wherever they choose to, right? It's like all right, kids are work, kids are now remote school, so let's just go spend a month here or let's go work a, a month from a vacation home or somewhere else. And so, you know, traditionally a hardware VPN that we've put at home, they're not taking those with them. So looking at software options to cover all of their devices, whether it be phones, tablets, or laptops, has been a, a struggle to, to have something that works anywhere at all times. There's hardware-based VPNs, right? So plenty of the small businesses will have their main firewall, so to speak, at the uh, at the front door of the network, and that device acts as a VPN concentrator. And if you're using the cloud, plenty of uh, plenty of software-defined networking solutions out there that then create that VPN connectivity to the cloud or to whatever application, right? One of the things that uh, we've advocated for and that we help clients build is a simple flowchart. Flowcharts are great, especially when they're small, compact, fit on a letter-sized sheet of paper on what are you doing today. If you're just replying to emails or if you're just doing web research that's not specific, etc., do you need to VPN? Probably not. Are you doing something around finance or payroll? Not only do you need to VPN, but what type of network are you connecting from? If you're out and about and not at home, should you use the coffee shop or should you maybe hotspot off of this? I think the challenge that I see brought to us most frequently, because HIPAA compliance requires a lot of security, right? You're not going to get away with going and grabbing a laptop at Best Buy, going home, turning it on, and getting through compliantly. It's just not going to happen. Um, so the biggest challenge that we see in BYOD environments where you're still trying to let your employees use their own device is the is the comment is like the juxtaposition of privacy versus security, right? So the employees don't want the corporate eye watching everything they do in the network. They're not comfortable with you putting, you know, Ian's tools out there, right? Because as soon as they hear that, they think, oh, wait a minute. So you can see everything I search and everything I buy in my personal banking. Flip side of that, though, is that compliance requires some kind of monitoring, logging, and auditing. You've got to be able to figure out who did what, right? Back to the teenager we picked on earlier. So who accessed that laptop when and where? You have to have the right you know, password policies, preferably multi-factor authentication, 
all those things have to happen. So I, I think the challenge that IT groups, MSPs, everybody really is facing is how do you secure the flag when the flag is at my house and I don't want to let you in here to look around? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a very, it's a tough thing. Yeah. And I think that's a whole other uh, webinar I want to do. Remind me on this is on the concept of zero trust, right? That how do we, how do we in this world of, like you said, balancing privacy and security, you know, deal with that. Right. So thanks for that. This um, is, um, the, the one thing that I would say that Paul mentioned that's that uh, brings up an emphasis in my mind is that this is the, if you look at all technology, things generally start in the enterprise stage, stage and trickle down. This concept of zero trust as well as just maturing a business operation from that mom and pop has been accelerated by remote work. You can't have a remote workforce and have the backslappy handshake, hey, don't worry about it, trust type of aspect. Unfortunately, Big Brother has to exist in your organization when you're yeah. gonna have that distributed workforce for a multitude of reasons. So that's- Yeah, I guess uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too, is the way I'd look at it in simpler terms is that- Correct. If you wanna work remote, there, there are certain things that have to change, both in your view of uh, privacy and some of the sacrifice you'll have to make and how you use your network, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure Pax 8 didn't love buying all those laptops and shipping them to all those employees, right? There's a whole bunch of desktops sitting around in offices, but it's the right way to do it. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we've uh, uh, we've put a bunch of different tools in place, too, to where we're scanning for PII and PHI and, and intercepting some things. And, uh, you know, you'd obviously would love to be on the front end of that, but at least we're aware if we start to see any bad practices go into effect by anybody. What I want to move into now, just uh, being conscious of time, is uh, remote worker training tips, right? And it's funny, I was looking at a slide the other day. I wish I could remember where I saw it because I wanted to use it in this presentation today. Uh, but it was on passwords, and it basically said if you have just letters, then it takes them eight seconds to crack your password. If you have letters combined with a capital, then it increases to less than a minute. And you know, there was a there was a weird break between using uh, letters, uh, capital characters and four numbers uh, versus three numbers where it went from basically being able to uh, break your password in three weeks versus four years, right? Like how that that one character addition made such a big difference in how that, that worked, right? And that's kind of training, getting people to understand that. So are there, you know, tips and tricks that you guys are using to be able to help people and their remote workers uh, that are training-based and not software-based? And Paul, maybe I'll get you to start this one this time. The thing that, that people did not take home with them was the idea that security is still their job, that privacy is still their job. You're working in your underwear, you're sitting there drinking your coffee at the computer, you know what I mean? Like, you don't feel like it's that time, but it's that time. Your wife, your kids, everybody else around you is not supposed to be privy to this information. If you were at your office, they wouldn't be. And yet you didn't beat this into their heads. You didn't talk to your employees about it. So one of the things we tell folks is, look, if you weren't working remotely before, COVID sent everybody home and you just said, go there. If you didn't adjust your policies and procedures and then train your employees on how to do it, then you, again, you're in violation of the HIPAA law. Let's just take that one specifically. Why? Because if I don't tell you you can and how to do so, then you can't. You're not trained. 
So I, I think that the, it really begins with the t teaching them that the corporate culture has to go home. And that is one of the biggest challenges out there, sending that corporate culture to the house. And uh, Mark, uh, you on the, on the other side, from a print perspective, are there things that we have to do additionally to train uh, users from a printing perspective? Is there anything that you do? Uh, train, train again, train every day. Uh, yeah. People just forget, right? And I think that we're, we're not just manuals, but videos. Uh, you, you've got to make it easy for people to understand how to do something at home. You know, back to what the gentleman was saying just a second ago, right? It, it, it is our responsibility from corporate to let everybody know how to interact at home or on the road. And so, you know, with printers, people are struggling. They want to be able to just print something and they think it's, it's not that they don't have to worry about that piece of paper that's being generated, but they do. So we are really looking at um, diagrams and flowcharts, like, all right, what types of documents are you printing? And using software, uh, you know, such as PaperCut and other print management type solutions that are out there to help them put reminders in place of what they can and can't be printing at home and, and from specific applications. So that's the, the things that we, you just got to make it easier for that worker because they, they are going to forget with everything else that they have going on. Well, I, I like what you say there too about the how, right? Because, you know, what's the old expression? I love it. Uh, nobody like, you know, a sermon, right? And uh, everybody loves a story. Being able to use video, being able to use some of these other methods to be able to get people to actually want to pay attention to that content. I mentioned earlier on the printer side, at least, it's one thing I liked about what HP did with their Wolf series was at least to make it as entertaining as it was, you know, educational. So anyone else have any other comments to add to that? Like, So we require, you know, a mix of upper and lower case special characters and the passwords, at least eight characters. But the other thing we did is we rolled out a password management tool so that we don't want anybody using the same password for multiple applications. So this is a really big point too that, so if somewhere down the road you got compromised, you'd only get compromised on one app, hopefully. Uh, but we do uh, we do require that, and uh, the more characters you add, you know, to your point earlier, Wes, the more complicated it gets. That's a really good ad, though, Brad. Is that uh, this whole idea of actually using a password manager? Because um, mm. I would say that most people don't, right? And even myself, I can claim guilt to, uh, for that until about two years ago, right? And I've been in the technology space for a long time. So, and uh, Ian, anything else to add there? Every, everyone really hit on a lot of broad basis points on this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. So that start with why type of mentality. Why is security important? Um, as each one of the big things we focus on is as a technology gets rolled out to a client, we focus on a universal training platform about why this is important. So a password manager is important because you can't control target.com's web security hygiene. And so if they get hacked and your target password is the same as your bank password is the same as the system password, not only did someone just buy a whole bunch of towels, but they just drained your blank bank account and they blew the corporate data. So it became a really big problem because of a bad hygiene habit of someone. It's not your fault. It's not our fault. It's their fault. So <laughs> using that why really helps drive home the adoption process. Um, another thing, and this is just an easy one that everyone can do, is that uh, IT security has done a really, really good job at making passwords really, really easy for computers to break and really, really hard for people to remember. So stop using a password, start using a passphrase. 
take five or six words, put them together, use book capitalization, throw one symbol and one number at the end. You have a password that will take a computer a millennium to break, but you will be able to remember after repeating it to yourself three to five times. Wow. Use a passphrase. So we've all been trained to think of it as a word, but yeah. uh, certainly when you talk about a phrase, I can think of a number if it's a nursery rhyme when he was a child or a quote from Star Wars, right? Rebellions are built on hope. You know, things that are very easy to remember, but you're saying yep. that because it's a phrase and it's much longer, that it's much harder uh, to hack. It's wow. Much harder to break. And if you can get to the point where you use four or five nondescript words, right? So uh, the old internet, the old internet uh, cartoon XKCD did this really well. Correct horse battery staple, and all the nerds watching this all said, "Hey, I get that reference, right?" But I read that cartoon ten years ago or whatever, and those four words are still in my head. So I use those whenever I go over this topic, right? Just choose four to six random words, put them together, create the phrase, and you'll remember it. And use that phrase for your password manager. <laughs> I love it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. That's one of my first things I'm gonna do after I get off this call today, is uh, password phrasing. That's great. Hey, and in the interest of time, I do have to move on to the next question. And one of the things I want to discuss a little bit. We did uh, kind of touch on this, Paul, when we talked about HIPAA and everything else. But with the GDPR and uh, privacy and compliance impacts on uh, remote work, I think we touched on this a little bit. But is there anything else that you'd like to add there? Is that's kind of your area of expertise? Yeah, uh, Ian actually touched on this earlier, um, and, and it's the need for a risk assessment against these home environments, right? You don't get a pass, One, all compliance. It doesn't matter if it's HIPAA, GDPR, the CMMC that's counting. Everything requires you start by assessing your risk, and that does not just mean the IT risk, right? It means the administrative, the privacy functions, and all the IT stuff. So back to what happened, everybody saw in the news, a giant pandemic's coming, the governor shuts your state, we all run home, we call our MSP, we're like, hook me up with VoIP and a VPN, I'm good, right? What is the risk factor for each employee? I, I like that uh, we were talking earlier, you said, you know, look, if you're in marketing, I don't necessarily see you have the same risk as if you're in accounting, right? So right. if you don't do a risk assessment against these environments, you can't pretend to be compliant. That's one of the first things we did is immediately make sure our partners got a copy of a work from home assessment. And I'll tell you, I, I'm not advocating that every MSB out there try to send boots on the ground in the, you know, hazmat suits and the N95 masks to everybody's house. Your client's not going to pay for it. You're, you're not, you know, it's, it's unsafe, whatever. No, the thing is, you, you can do a remote assessment. We created the questions for a typical worker to be able to answer. If you have thousands and thousands of people, you don't have the bandwidth to log into every single computer and check. If you ask people a question, you give them a series of questions, they're simple, they knock everything out, and you say, we're going to randomly audit a percentage of the workforce. So you make them audit their homes, and then you can go randomly audit, come back behind and say, but we're going to take a sampling periodically and make sure these things have been done. People will do it. If you don't, if you just say go home and change the powder password on your router, it's not doing any such thing, man. Yeah, 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 I did that. I made it a big phrase. I hate passwords, right? It's not happening. So I think it all begins. Compliance at home starts with the risk assessment, and then I'll say it again policies and procedures. If you didn't tell them they could do it before, then they can't do it now. And most of the people that are under these severe regulatory compliance standards, HIPAA, GDPR, whatever, 
because of those standards, they weren't big fans of this work from home thing before the COVID crisis, right? They weren't into this deal. It's easier to secure the flag right here in my office. Everybody comes in is where you work. Now your world changed. They all went home. Where did you document? Where did you train? You know, that's, that's the challenge that's faced the whole world. at this. Man. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Any other ads there? Um, well, you know, the, the GDPR, the U.S. doesn't have a direct agreement, um, like with the U.K., where we just opened an office. So we were down the path of Privacy Shield and, you know, doing a really good job of covering those 15 main elements of the Privacy Shield requirement. And then that got thrown away a couple months ago. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're kind of wrestling with all of that. But what we've tried to do is just pick what is the strictest standard to adhere to. We don't have a very large medical uh, clientele. But we know HIPAA has some very strong requirements. So we've done the HIPAA compliance for privacy. The California Consumer Privacy Act seems to be the most challenging. So that's the one we try to follow and uh, just put all the different things in place for that. One of the things that I think uh, Brad here is like advocating, right, is um, is look at everything. Is that is that kind of what Pax8 has done, Brad? Is like look at everything and, and formed commonalities? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we've had to go out and do all the, you know, banners on all the websites, the opt-ins, the opt-outs, go to the bottom of the main page, give the opportunity for people to click for the right to be forgotten. So, yeah, we've put all those kinds of play things in place, and we have. We've looked at the toughest across the across all the different uh, groups. So that's that's one of the things we've been doing from the small business end. It's difficult to go to a construction guy and say, hey, none of this is required. So you got to do all the hard things, but one of the th one of the items that we've been doing is slowly but surely collecting commonalities. So hey, in California and New York and GDPR and in HIPAA, here's five things that are really common across these. And we just went and said, look, like you don't have to do this, but these five aspects are in everything under the sun. You're not doing any of them. Why don't we just do these five? Because eventually there is going to be a national regulation that's going to apply to you. And I can guarantee you it's going to have these five. I'll bet you all the money in my wallet versus all the money in your wallet, they're going to be there. So let's do it now while we've got some time and it's not required. And maybe you can use this as a competitive wedge. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Ian. And the other thing we did is uh, we went back through every single IT and security policy and made sure all those were adjusted to meet those new kinds of requirements. So every policy has been reviewed over the last two to three months. You know, I think the other important thing to what everyone has said there, and you know, Ian, especially as you said, even if you choose those top five, right, that it starts to breed a culture of compliance. In other words, if they're working on those things, it means that their people are thinking about it, and uh, that over time that they're actually, that's gonna become part of just the way that they do business, right? Whereas to your point, if they have zero today, guess what, they have no compliancy attitudes whatsoever in their culture right so yeah and it's it's got to come and i think especially you know you know brad as you mentioned that that you know kind of old agreement was thrown out and you've got to kind of look at what the future holds as far as what those uh you know agreements look like so we've got to get started today um again in the interest of time we've got to move on and we're at that point uh in the interview when i've got a really tough question for you all to consider you know, for our listeners, if you had only one piece of advice that you would give them uh, regarding um, uh, remote work and security, what would that be? And uh, maybe, Mark, I'll start with you uh, as you're in the Smoky Mountains, and we'll let you go. What I would tell you is embrace it. Uh, it, it is here to stay. 
and we all have to find ways that it's going to be able to work. Whether you're a small company uh, or a large enterprise organization, you have to find ways within your own company to uh, create the policies that are going to work. You know, ACDI, we are a small company, but we have employees from Canada to Brazil. And so we have to look at laws that work in each of the, the countries that we're working for and, and the technologies there. So you might not know everything. So find a company like a Pax8, find another company out there that can help you get with your peers and work on particular best practices uh, with, within your group and, and don't try to go at it alone and, and you'll be able to uh, survive the long haul. I love it, so embrace it. So uh, Paul, maybe I'll get you to give your one piece of advice. I think the thing I would say is that you've got to educate your clients. You're going to have to talk to people about this. This is not something that ended when you got the voice over IP phone and the remote tools installed and finished that conversation. You're right. You know, okay, great. We got the risk assessment done. You really have to educate your clients on the change that has happened inside their environment for them as a business. Show them the effect that it's going to have over a period of time and make sure that they're considering everything that we're talking about today. I promise if you're not having this conversation with your customers, they're not thinking about all this stuff, right? Like they were just happy when the phone started ringing at their receptionist's office, at home rather, and she started booking appointments on their virtual calendar. That was it. They were done. They're happy. But unfortunately, there leaves all this risk and all these things out there that they're not considering. It's like a train can hit them, you know, coming out of nowhere, right? So without education, you have not completed your task. This wasn't a one and done. It's here forever. I love it. So that's two with an E. And uh, on the education side, what's also profound about that is if we're not talking and educating our customers about this, then maybe some of our competitors are. Ian, I'll get you to jump in with your one piece of advice. Self-improvement is one of those things that only you can do for you. So I always, like you mentioned, West, that people love the story. So I started about a year and a half ago getting into shape because my doctor ran some blood work and said, hey, your heart's bad. Keep going like you're doing. You'll be fine. You have a blast for 10 years. Then you'll drop dead of a heart attack. Nobody could change my diet. Nobody could work out for me. Self-improvement was my responsibility. So self-improvement of your organization, cybersecurity is your organization's responsibility. You cannot delegate out a culture of security. You have to build it. So they really have to make this part of their lifestyle. And now, Brad, it looks like you get the, the last word. What's your one piece of advice for our, our listeners? Uh, I would say take melatonin. It might help you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, They've really all hit the key points. You know, it's, it's educate your teams and yourself, um, train, communicate, join other organizations, have conversations with your peers, and just stay in tune with uh, uh, the sources of information. There's countless out there that can, can provide you all kinds of information to uh, help you improve your environment. Uh, obviously with more remote workers and everything else, I know that security has always been a hard sell. Um, I've worked with people uh, for years now, and they just talk about the fact that it's much easier to convince someone to get, you know, cybersecurity once they've uh, already been stung, right? So if they've lost money or had a, an intrusion that really hurt them, then you darn toot and they're going to sign up for it. There was somebody else, I can't remember who named the quote, they said the best way to get, you know, people to buy, you know, fire insurances is to burn down the building across the street, right? That <laughs> once they see it or have some personal connection to it. You know, if you, uh, 
if you see the people going to the booths at the trade shows, even before the pandemic, uh, they all want to be next to the guy that shows pen test results um, so they can see what people are getting into. And it always puts a little bit of a, I guess, a fear factor in you that I've got to put better protection in place. But uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing more interest as we talk to our partners in, in security applications. And uh, Missy, it looks like the uh, poll has uh, completed. What did you get? 100% of our respondents had say it is much easier to sell. I always love to talk about opportunity, and I think uh, from what you've heard from everyone on the, the call today, as well as that poll, if you're not looking at security as an option right now during the pandemic uh, for that remote workforce and also at the office, clearly uh, you're missing the boat. So thanks for that. Thanks for answering those questions. One of the tests of true leadership is the ability to recognize a problem uh, before it becomes an emergency. And I can tell you in the security world, uh, you do not want an emergency. So I want to thank everyone here for taking the time today to help our audience uh, to learn more about it, uh, to question it more, and to start thinking about how with this new remote workforce that they can start uh, incorporating uh, security into the, the things that they're offering. So if you need more Roar when you're ready, uh, obviously you can visit TigerPaw software at tigerpaw.com. Uh, there you can actually get access to both our blog, uh, to TigerPaw Radio, where we've got some exciting uh, listening learning for you there as well and our YouTube uh, page as well for other additional learning. Paul, Ian, uh, Mark and Brad, thank you very much for attending today. For all of our listeners and for all of those that are watching, thank you for joining us for another episode of Tiger Paw Radio. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com podcasts. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.